we are in the middle of a series on 1 Samuel, and we're going to be looking today at perhaps uh, maybe the second most, maybe Noah's Ark is the most popular Bible story, but next to it is David and Goliath. And so we're going to be looking at that story today. And if you've not heard the story, it's about a, uh, <coughs> a big giant, uh, Philistine, who was one of the, they were the enemies of Israel. They were going to wage war on Israel, and they had a huge dude. His name was Goliath, and he came in front of, the, in front of his army, facing the uh, army of Israel, and says, forget about battling one army against another. Uh, you just come and battle me. And whoever can beat me, uh, then we'll be in service to you. But if I beat you, then you'll be in service to us. And so uh, he's nine feet tall, covered in armor, large spears and javelins. This is a nasty guy. And so for 40 days, the Israelites are shaking in their boots. They're so afraid. David, who's the youngest of eight sons, comes and uh, is, is delivering some food to his brothers who are in the battle. Well, sitting in the battle, they're not really fighting. But, uh, and he's asking, what's going on here? And so they explain what's going on. And he says, well, I'll fight Goliath. And say, well, you don't understand. This is a, a mighty warrior trained in battle, twice as tall as you. It's, it's just it's a ridiculous idea. He says, no. No, I've, uh, I've killed the lion and the bear. God has been with me. I'll do this. And so Saul, uh, who was the king at that time, decides, I don't know why he did this, but he decided to entrust the future of Israel into this young, brash boy. And so he goes into battle and ends up with a sling and a stone, uh, defeating Goliath, chopping off his head. Hard for a modern audience to rejoice over that. Uh, and uh, and the, uh, the Philistines are routed, Israel saved. It's an amazing moment. If you ever want to read a captivating story in the Bible, you want to read 1 Samuel 17. I thought, uh, if you can make a click there, Mitch. So here's, here's where that is. Uh, the, the one on the left, the big arrow, this is the valley the, Phil the Israelites are on the hill that's closest to us, and the Philistines are in the green in the back. And the valley that they're fighting in is that valley that you see right there. And if you look at the picture to the right, that's now looking at where the Israelites are, kind of looking back up this way. You know, you think of these historic moments, and they sometimes feel like fairy tales. But that's where it's happened. I I've been there uh, a few times now. And you, you stand in this place, and you go, this is where the presence of God performed a miracle. And it looks like a normal field, doesn't it? Well, Vancouver's a normal city, and it's where God performs miracles. And so we want to be able to understand how can God, who's present there, be present here. Now, the typical moral of the story is this. Uh, God defeats the giants in your life. And that's a great moral. And if we read that story, that's typically kind of what we come away with. But I'd like to be able to set, a, um, set the stage for this, and it's the chapter before. Now, 
In the chapter before is the first time we're introduced to David, who becomes the greatest figure uh, in, uh, in Israelite history. And he's chosen to be king because Saul is not doing a good job and not representing God well. And so this is what uh, God says about uh, just before he chooses David to be uh, king, to anoint him to be king. He says that the Lord looks at the heart. And so there's something about David's heart that makes him the king of choice. It's not about his outward appearance. They say he, it says he's super handsome and, and uh, well-spoken and a great warrior, all kinds of things. But the, but the criteria that God uses to select somebody to lead his nation is a man after his own heart. So what did God see in this heart of David that made him want to choose David to lead his nation? Now, lots of things are said, but I, I'm just going to focus on uh, chapter 17, verses 45 and 46. This is what it says. David said to the Philistines, so now this is where... Uh, He's now facing Goliath, and this is what he says. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'll strike you down, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. <clears throat> What's going on? What does this reveal, among other verses in 1 Samuel 17, what does this reveal about David? It's a heart to honor God. Far and above everything else, this uh, David's heart is not one that's motivated by what's in it for me. Yeah, I'd really like the power and the glory or whatever it is. No, this is a man who wants to honor the living God. Now, I'd like to contrast this with Goliath's heart. This is what Goliath says. And I think he has a heart of pride, not a heart to honor God. The Philistines said in verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Imagine the arrogance. You have a whole army in front of you. I defy you. I double dare you to fight me. Just the arrogance is absolutely profound. And so we see the contrast between David's heart to honor God and Goliath's heart to honor himself. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Pride and honor often look the same. And they're a little bit hard to tell apart. When David goes to the front lines to deliver food for his brothers, he's asking around. And uh, this is what he says. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, it sounds kind of good, standing up for God, but his opening line is, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? It's not just all about God. I'm kind of curious. You know what might be in it for me a little bit? Would like to know that too. So he's asking around, and then his brothers catch wind of what he's asking. And this is what uh, Eliab uh, asks him. Why have you come down here to the battlefield? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. This is his brother. Brother knows him well. This is his brother speaking about David, 
who's been chosen to be king because of his heart. And Eliab is saying, I know your heart, and I know how wicked it is. Who's right? Is, it, did God, you know, oops, I didn't, you know, I haven't lived with him long enough, or, you know, like, what's going on that God sees something in David's heart that is the opposite to what his brothers see? Uh, this is the challenge, that it can be difficult, I think, looking inside of our hearts or the hearts of others to be able to tell where, where is pride and where is honor? Because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. I think this is particularly true as Canadians. Uh, for however long you've been in Canada, uh, this is our reputation, that we're a peacekeeping nation. And that if there's any banner that we want over our nation as we celebrate, uh, you know, July 1st tomorrow, that what we want over our nation is tolerance and peace, harmony. And what we're, what we're known for is, uh, is getting along. What we're not known for is standing up for something in the name of honor and righteousness and truth. We're not known for that. We are now and then. There's a great atrocity, perhaps. It's not what we're known for. When we... Uh, when we contrast, one of the things that we contrast sometimes, and it's unfortunate, sorry for my American friends, is that we contrast Canada with you. And, uh, and what we'll say is that, you know, in America, you have lots of, of kind of bigger-than-life people. And in Canada, we just chop you all down. Because if you're greater, then that means you're going to make someone else look bad. That's not nice. So you, you try to think of who's a hero in Canada, and it's sometimes hard to find one. Because we're even nervous to honor other people, because that means that we might be dishonoring someone else. And so instead of risking honor, we'd rather just be nice and gray and flat. Now, I don't know whether honor even makes it on our radar to be a life motivation. I don't know that we think that way. I don't know that we think, I want to be a man of honor. I want to defend this country. I want to defend the name of the living God. And if somebody would attack that name, something in me is going to rise up and say no to that. It's not right. He is the living God. How dare you defy him? And I will oppose you. How many Canadians have said that? Yeah, one Canadian. But I was just quoting him, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <coughs> didn't mean it. But uh, <coughs> I think this is a problem for Canada. They talk about Eastern uh, countries being shame and honor based. In Western countries, not being that. I think it's true. I haven't traveled a lot, but I've traveled enough in the East to know that there's a different way of looking at life 
than if you come from Canada especially. That uh, I think not only is, is honor not valued, I think it's embarrassing. Because honor looks a lot like pride. Because you're standing up for something. And you're saying that one thing is right and another thing is wrong. And uh, we Canadians are very clever. And we can see, just like Eliab did, ah, there's probably mixed motives. And given those mixed motives, you have a wicked heart. And I will not join you in your causes. I'm concerned about this. Because my concern is ultimately, are we, if you call yourself a Christian, are we going to be a people who honor God? Yeah. One of the things that we talk a lot about, and it's in our, uh, it's in our, our purpose statement, uh, multiplying disciples who love God, one another in the world. It's the great commandment and the great commission. And so I've devoted my life to trying to understand how to love God and to love others. I think love is always the point. But here's the problem with that word. It gets interpreted in ways that it becomes contrasted with the idea of honor. Like love becomes this group hug kind of idea that's just soft and mushy and unconvicted of anything. And so love just means that we're going to get along. Love just means tolerance and acceptance at all costs. And so you have uh, David coming along and violating the Canadian conscience. And say that what my love for God looks like is honoring his name and opposing those who oppose him. This is sobering stuff. And I don't know if you think about this. Like, do you think about... uh, did I just honor God in what I said and did? This week, will my primary ambition be to glorify the name of God above all other names? Is that what I'm about this week? Or do I want some kind of sappy sitting in the love of God and receiving his kindness towards me, which is a very wonderful thing to do. It's just incomplete. And it doesn't accurately reflect the priorities of Scripture, for sure, 1 Samuel 17. So, how do we know whether we're operating in pride or whether we're operating in honor? How do we know that? Because it is easy to deceive ourselves. And people who are ambitious are often self-centered. So how can we be strong, but be strong in humility in the honor of God? What we see David doing is two things. And I think we can learn from his example. The first is uh, he engaged in a battle that he couldn't win. He engaged in a battle that he couldn't win. Uh, When you want to honor the name of God, we would engage in battles that we know that we can't naturally win. We would sign up for things that are beyond our ability and maybe even our business. 
pride never signs up for something that you can't win at because that would insult our pride. Instead, we sign up for things that are risking humiliation to exalt a name greater than ours. Um, So let me ask you, uh, what giant or giants in your life are mocking God right now? What is a giant in your life that's mocking God? The first giant that comes to my mind is the giant of sin. And sin comes along, whether it's greed or, or lust or selfish ambition, and it says to God, I defy you. You can't conquer me. I've been living in this soul for years. I'm the, uh, I'm the puppet master, and I can make him do whatever I want. All I have to do is drop a thought or an idea or a lust or an ambition. I can make him do whatever I want. I defy you, living God. And I say that Mia's sin is stronger than anything you've ever done. And so sin is a mockery of God. And that we could somehow uh, manage or say, I'm in, you know, I'm in process working through my sinful issues, misunderstands what's really going on. It's, it's less about whether you're feeling good about yourself, and it's more about whether God's name is being defied. And to let God's name be defied is our participation in the dishonoring of the living God. And this is not right. But unless honor is motivating us, sin will always be an issue that we should be working on and praying through and considering, not resisting at all costs. You following me now? You won't hate sin unless you're motivated by honoring God. You just work on it or not because it's kind of enjoyable or beneficial. And so I'll try to temper it because, you know, that wouldn't look good. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, I'm working with it. It's not a Goliath. It's someone that we need to negotiate with. difficult. We are a church that is committed to loving people who don't yet know Jesus. That is a huge motivation in this family. We don't believe that it's right that we would know the life, the eternal life of God and keep this to ourselves. It's not right. And if, if God's love has washed through your heart, it's hard to be quiet about who God is. There's another thing that's true. And that is that the world around us defies the living God, mocks and rejects him violently. Now, there can be all different ways. We're going to talk about how to do it in a minute. 
Nobody's cutting off heads anymore. But, uh, but the heart is, I can't accept that. I can't accept it. It's not right. What if evangelism was as much about honoring God's name as it was about saving souls? And what if the reason why we, we, uh, we preach the gospel is actually for the glory of God, that his name deserves to be held on high and not defamed with hollow arguments and disgusting behaviors? What if that also would motivate us? And I think of a, of a final giant, and that would be, uh, uh, for lack of a better way of, of saying it, uh, demonic curses. That there seems to be a way of thinking, and we call it humility. And we say, well, my life isn't going to amount to very much. Um, money is the root, you know, the, it's misquoted, money is the root of all evil. Um, um, I, 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 I just want to get by. And I, I just want to live, I just want to live carefully and cautiously within our means. Uh, I remember going to a Catholic wedding. This was a, a few years ago now. And, uh, and I remember the priest commissioning the, uh, the, the bride and groom have lots of kids. And I'm th- I've never heard, I've never said that, and I've, n- I've never heard a, I've never heard like a pastor, I commission you, <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use it as a metaphor, but I don't say that. And, and this, is, this is a guy just saying it straight up, have a lot of kids. And, uh, and, you know, the first thing that goes through my mind is, well, you're, well, you're not from Vancouver because <laughs> you, you can't afford to have a lot of kids in Vancouver. Like, uh, you've got to move north or go somewhere else, but you're certainly not going to live in Vancouver and have a lot of kids. They don't go together. And so, and so we make decisions that are all just reasonable. They're just reasonable. And what if God wants to bring his blessings into our life? And we go, no, 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 no. No, it's okay. It's really okay. Uh, my, my, my books are balanced. Uh, I have the right number of kids. Might be zero. And, uh, and it's, it's, all, it's all okay. Uh, it's all good. And I, don't, don't, don't tease me with hope. I just want to be reasonable. We talk about living in Vancouver. You have to have a missionary mindset. You have to know that you're called. Because if you have any kind of mind, you'll move out. <laughs> uh, it's just too expensive. And so, and, and so you know, just, just it, I'll be here while I'm at school, but I know I won't be able to afford it. Well, who told you that? Like, what if God's saying, I need people here? 
unsaved to figure out how to live here. Surely Christians can figure it out with some kids. Like, what if we just, what if we approach life in a faith way instead of a reasonable way and we just, we just look at the giants and go, you're right, you're right, I got to think small. Sorry, I was proud. What if we're to think in terms of honor? Um, I believe that God's calling us to engage in a battle. And you won't if you're motivated by fear, which is what we saw Eliab and his brothers doing that said they were dismayed and terrified. And they're just sitting for 40 days listening to a giant mock God every day in the morning and in the evening. And they sit there and take it. David comes once and says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Do you hear what he's saying about our God? No. No, this can't be tolerated. So how does he respond? And this is point number two. So point number one is you sign up for stuff that's bigger than what you can manage. That's number one. Number two is you use a, sing, a sling and a stone. So, uh, so I brought a sling from Israel. <laughs> I know. Okay. So Goliath comes, and Goliath has uh, full armor, like head-to-toe armor with a huge javelin, sword, shield, how dare you <laughs> defy the name of the living God? I'm going to defeat you yes. today. Can you imagine? Um, what I want you to do, can you promise wherever this ends up, give it back to me at the end? Would you please promise that? Pass this around. It's light. It's made out of some wool fabric thing. And with this, I'm going to glorify the name of my God. Incredible. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Going against worldly power at its greatest height in that day, and this is my idea. This is, this is what I'm familiar with. What does the sling and the stone represent. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, I'm sorry it's not on the screen, but you all have phones. Um, the weapons we fight with, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We don't fight with swords and spears and javelins. We don't do that. That's not what Christians do. On the contrary, they have the, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. And it says what the strongholds are and how they're... Listen to this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience, obedient to Christ. What is the weapon that God has given us? Listen to this. It's the knowledge of God. 
It's the knowledge of God. So, uh, here's what that sling and stone represented to David. I have been facing a lion. I've been facing a bear. And I know what my God can do through this. This is my knowledge of God. In my knowledge, my intimate experience of God says that he can use this to defeat that. This is what I know about my God. And so my authority doesn't come from me and externally what I'm able to pull together. My authority comes from who God is, and I know him to be that, and he is who I stand upon. What if any Goliath that is in your life can be, can I dare say, easily defeated through your knowledge of God? I love this. He says to Saul, don't give me your armor. That's fighting world with world. How will you ever beat the world at its own game? It's ridiculous. No, we're going to fight with spiritual power. And that power comes from knowing who God is in any given moment. So whether I'm facing sin in my life, whether I'm facing opposition uh, where I work, whether I feel like I'm cursed by demons, whatever it is, I stand on the knowledge of God, believing that those things can be defeated through simply confessing who he is. And living out in confidence what I know to be true about God. I, uh, uh, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm slow. And so uh, here's what is typically true for me. Whenever I hit a new situation, it rattles me. I just, uh, you know, a new, a new sin comes along or a new uh, stress comes along. And, uh, and what it does is it shakes me off of my knowledge of God, because it's a new moment. And so uh, here's what I need to do in those moments. I need to do what David did. So Goliath was kind of a new experience for David. And what he does is he says, uh, hold on here. I defeated the lion and the bear. This is not a new moment. It feels like a new moment to me. God's been doing this forever, not just in my life, but in all who honor his name. This is not a new moment for him, and my confidence is in who he is, not in who I am. And so he has to pause for a minute, recollect his knowledge of God, that he has been good and great all through his life, as he sought to be a shepherd to sheep. And this is not a new moment. And then in that place, he finds courage and rises up and honors the name of God yet again in his life. Standing on God's truth, not on some clever tactic. He knows simply this, that knowing God is enough to defeat any evil that is in and around us. We've been talking a lot in our church these days, and I hope we will always talk about this, about the power of God's word. 
in how we need to read it all the time. Not in some to-do list, but let it sink into our hearts and let it become an intimate knowledge that uh, expresses itself in taking thoughts all through the day obedient to Christ and bringing them into submission to his word that his name could be honored. So let me ask you in closing, are you concerned for God's honor? Is this a concern of yours? Can I encourage you, whether you believe in God or not today, take up a new life purpose. Defend the name of the living God. Let it be a reason why you do this instead of that. Let honor, figure out how to make honoring God a reason for doing something. Wouldn't that transform our lives? That reason, can you imagine where that would take us? Simply the desire to honor God. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight. But not as the world does. You can't defeat evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. And God is good. And so we stand upon who he is. We declare his name. And we walk in the knowledge of who he, he is in any given moment. And as we do, nations crumble. Uh, I was, I don't remember whether I said this in a sermon or not, so I'm sorry if I repeated myself, but I've been listening to uh, uh, Rick Watts, who was a New Testament theologian at Regent College, and he said this, and I didn't know this, that um, at year 100, um, there were 9,000 Christians in the world. The Roman Empire had 60 million so by the end of 100 years, you have 9,000 of us. That doesn't sound like a lot in 60 million, does it? <clears throat> and uh, within 300 years, so 100 years, 9,000, within 300 years, uh, the Roman Empire was defeated by Christianity. Christianity ruled the world within 300 years. Now, those of you who know the history, you can pick all that apart. I get it. Mixed motives again, right? I get it. But within 300 years, the, 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 the known world, as they called it, was defeated without one person lifting up a sword. There's more than 9,000 Christians in Vancouver. And there's less than 60 million. Wow. And God is looking for a people who will defend his name in this city. And I want to know whether it's you and I. And we don't have time to play nice. This is a time to honor the name of God. Not in the way that the world does, but in the way that Jesus does. By laying down lives, by self-sacrifice, by prayer, and by engaging in the messiness of reality, believing in who God is in those moments. Father, I ask <clears throat> that you would give us the grace to risk humiliation. I pray that you would give us the grace to scorn pride 
and be more concerned about your name than our name. I pray that you would defeat pride in our life, not in some abstract way, but by replacing it with worshiping a better name. And so we today want to glorify and honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who rules this world and will bring that rule to earth in its fullness in the coming age. And so we sign up to advance your name on earth now, negotiating terms of peace with the coming, between this world and the coming king. And would you work in our heart the desire to be men and women of honor? Would you let that define us in the decisions that we make? In your son's name, amen.